You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. May we know you more and so dedicate ourselves to your service as a witness in the world. Amen. Well, it was a hot day. Mediterranean summer, and I'd been out exploring, and I was looking for shelter and refreshment. Typical in the Mediterranean world and in the Middle East, often you would uh, find a restaurant with an outdoor sitting area, and the one I was looking for was covered with a trellis that had a grapevine growing over it, a bit like this image here. And I settled down into a chair and ordered a drink and something to eat. It's this image of the vine that Jesus is using in John 15. Uh, Most of us, when we think about vines, probably because of our affinity for a nice drop of red wine, um, think of vineyards. Uh, Jesus is not talking about vineyards here. He's talking about one vine. And he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. I'm the vine. He's talking about one vine. You see... In the Middle East, hospitality is a really important thing. In the time of the Bible, hospitality is important. And at the front of most of the homes um, around uh, Israel, when I visited there, in more of the traditional homes, not so much in Jerusalem, in the big cities, but in the more rural towns, a bit like in my suburb where a lot of Greek and Italian post-war migrants came, occasionally you'll see a trellis with grapevines on it. When your neighbour comes to visit, when he's allowed to come and visit, or she can come, um, then they would sit under that shady area, nice protection from the sun, and then someone would bring a, uh, bring a tray of drinks out, maybe some tea or coffee, uh, maybe something uh, refreshing and cool, and they would reach up and share the produce that's growing overhead. Uh, if the grapevine sheltering their house doesn't produce any fruit, it's a great shame to the householder. They can't be hospitable to their neighbours and others who come to visit. Well, the idea of the vine is in the Bible often used as an image for Israel. There's a lot of places where Israel is represented as a vine. In the, in the Old Testament, often this is actually a negative image like God has planted a vine in a vineyard and he looks for fruit and where is it? There's none. Or um, it's a, a vine that's a foreigner being planted in the land. Something is expected of the vine. 
Israel wasn't often faithful to their calling, much like we aren't always faithful to our calling. Jesus is speaking using that imagery when he says, I am the true vine. He's the true Israel. Um, he's the one that uh, will be fruitful and truly demonstrates God's will and purposes in the world. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. The father is the one who trains the vine and makes it grow so that it produces shade and fruit. But Jesus doesn't just say, um, I'm the vine. He actually says, I am the true vine. We don't get that so easily in English and we don't, in written English, have a way of emphasising this. But in the New Testament language, um, there's a way of speaking where you could just say, I'm the vine. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. It's a little bit like you're in the, in the um, cafe and uh, the waitress brings um, a long black and a latte. And she says, whose is the latte? And then, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, the person who is the latte, I'm the latte. They're stressing that it's for me. And uh, Greek does that in the same way. And in fact, Jesus is saying here what he says quite often through the Gospel of, uh, of John, that he uses this strong language of I am. In fact, it picks up the idea from Exodus chapter 3, um, where the burning bush... And Moses encounters God in the burning bush and he gets called to go and uh, take the message of liberation to the slaves in Egypt who are the, uh, Israel, the people of Israel, the sons and daughters of Israel. And Moses says, well, who should I tell them is, is sending me? And God reveals himself and he says, I am who I am. Tell them that I am is sending them. And this idea gets picked up, for example, in Leviticus 19. There's a refrain in the Greek translation of the Old Testament using exactly these words that Jesus uses. Um, if uh, you know Greek, it's ego imi. I am. So Jesus, in a way, is claiming to be God in the way that he uses these words. He's claiming to be the true Israel, but he's also claiming to be the one who revealed himself to Moses in the bush. And the one, for example, in Leviticus 19, 14, who says, you shall not speak badly of the deaf and you should not put an obstacle before the blind and you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Uh, Jesus is refraining that idea. 
And Jesus, as the true vine, urges his followers in these, his last words. And over the last few weeks, I've been picking up different sections from this section of John's Gospel, John 14 through 16 and on into 17. Um, They're his farewell words to the disciples. And what he urges them is a word that speaks to us today. He says, remain in me. Let me read from John 15, verse 4 and following. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So just like uh, the householder who has a glorious vine over the trellis in front of their home so that neighbours can come in and enjoy refreshment and something to eat, it's to the householder's honour they have a good vine at their home it's to the father's honour that we produce much fruit and prove to be true disciples of Jesus so we're called to be fruitful Um, sometimes there's a bit of a misunderstanding about what is fruitful And uh, quite often we can speak about fruitfulness in terms of success. And there is an element of truth in that, but it's not the whole story. Let's read from John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command, love one another. What is the fruit, the primary fruit that is seen? Loving one another. That's our call as disciples. The other reading we've had this morning is from Acts chapter 2 where we a few weeks ago heard the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the people looking on are a bit amazed and gobsmacked because they hear people speaking in the languages of the places they come from. Uh, They see other signs and manifestations and they think, what is this craziness? And Peter preaches to them and tells them the implications of what they should do. He shares the gospel and calls for their repentance. And many are added to the church. 3,000 people 
in uh, that day, probably 3,000 men plus extras. Um, but a lot of people are added and become disciples of Jesus on that day. And Luke continues on and describes what the early church was like and talks about the kind of fruit where the lives of those early believers was a witness to the truth of the gospel. The transformation that was evident in their lives and the way that they lived commended the message to those who were around them. We read this morning these words. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as they had any need. Uh, it's not that the early Christians were communists. They were communal. No one was forcing them to share. They did it as the Spirit of God bubbled up and through their lives, transforming them. They had concern for one another. And every day, we're told, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. Uh, part of their life was that they saw that they belonged with each other. As I look around this church this morning and see lots of empty seats, uh, I start to lament because it's not as it should be. It's actually right that we are together. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not urging you to break government rules and regulations and bust out of your homes and rush down to Red Door, but there's a sense in which we do belong together. They devoted themselves, those early Christians, to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with, with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Uh, some responded to the preaching of Peter, but many responded to what they saw in the lives of the church, of the people of God. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of the bread. There's two uh, different sentences that talk about breaking bread. One is the breaking of the bread, um, and one is breaking bread. One is ordinary food sharing. I, I believe the other one is actually talking about the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread. Um, and so that's a part, an expression of obedience to Christ, communally gathering, remembering his death and resurrection, the salvation that is ours, gathering around the word of God. That's the calling for us as God's people. As we respond to the gospel, we are called to remember that Jesus is the true vine, the I am, and that we are to remain in him. And as we remain in him, 
then to be fruitful, to live lives that are consistent with the gospel and proclaim the gospel by the transformation of the spirit working in us. We're going to have an opportunity to uh, share about that a little later, but uh, now we're going to turn to pray and love is going to lead us in prayers of intercession.